Hi, everybody. Good day, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. Um, welcome to Renaissance Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Martin-Burns. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, this is episode three. Um, joining us today, um, one of my good friends um, in Mexico City, uh, incredible human being in general. Um, I'll let him tell you more about himself in a minute. Um, but Importantly, the, the primary topic of discussion is going to be around him being the founder of Elevar Salud, an incredible um, data slash health tech company, digital health company in Mexico. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with him a little bit on in the last few months. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's get straight to it. Um, Vidit, hello. Thank you for joining us. Chris, thank you for having me on your podcast and good to see you in a video after a long time. Likewise, man. Likewise. Um, I hope you had a good weekend and a good start to the week. Um, as I say, Vidit's down in Mexico City, um, where he's been building uh, his uh, his startup. Um, but before we get to that, um, why don't we go back to the beginning um, and you can tell us a little bit about your life story um, kind of before you got to this point. Um maybe start with with childhood um maybe some inspirations from there um what did you want to become um is this anything like that um and uh, and yeah tell us a little bit about your background in general awesome well look i was born in india uh to a uh to a family of uh, entrepreneurs and we moved around quite a bit uh, i grew up between india a little bit in South Africa, and then moved to the U.S. Uh, at the age of uh, 17. And I've always been interested in strategy. And growing up, strategy dictated two or three career options for me in my mind. One was to become an entrepreneur, follow my family's path. Uh, second, I've always also been interested in war, so maybe figure out a way to get into uh, any sort of military organization. And in the end, I realized that I like my life too much and I decided to go get my bachelor's in finance and then my MBA and then worked in finance for about 10 years um, and then uh, moved to Mexico a couple of years ago and decided to flex my entrepreneurial muscle. So that's a little bit on that. And it's been uh, it's been an amazing journey yeah. so far in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, uh, amazing, uh, amazing place, and, and amazing what you're doing there for sure. Um, let me let me ask you one one question. Um, like, I know you used to work in you, your background is in banking, private equity. Um, mm -hmm. Have you have you ever? I mean, some would consider this a little bit of a leap from that. Um, I, I, I mean, I, to be honest, I see it as more of a reasonable transition because you, you kind of know how to operate companies from the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, was this, was this like your first passion project in terms of a startup? Like, was this the first startup that you ever kind of felt compelled to, to start and invest yourself into as a founder? Um, or did you ever look at anything or consider anything before this? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, look, I think I've had a few ideas before that I have thought about uh, executing on, um, mostly in real estate and hospitality. But for whatever reason, when I really thought about them, I did not resonate. I do have a very extensive background in working with other operators and guiding them and investing in them. So that gave me sort of like a I would say maybe a secondhand knowledge on seeing what works, what does not work. But I think, you know, with Elevar Salud, the company that I'm building right now, that one became a more, that came came from a more of a personal experience side, which is always, uh, you know, the passion becomes more um, intense when you have experienced something personally. Um, so, yeah. So what was the experience? Yeah, the experience was, you know, without going too deep into that, you know, look, we moved, my wife and I recently married in 2020. Uh, in the middle of pandemic, we moved out to Mexico uh, just as everybody was working from home. And a couple of things happened uh, on a personal side. Uh, a few family members and friends came to visit. And as luck would have it, they needed some medical attention. 
And at that point, we were unable to figure out how to get that medical care. You know, that ranged from finding the right doctors, figuring out the right steps to go on from there, you know, what kind, how to access the, the right healthcare system. And we were unable to do that. It was very, very difficult. Long story short, we made about, we consulted, we tried to consult with six to seven doctors in a short span of time. And majority of them did not take place. The ones that did take place were very low quality uh, consultations for the doctors where we did not figure out what do we, what's actually going on. And that led me to think, wow, how does that happen in a country like Mexico? You know, when you, from the outside surface, Latin America and Mexico in general has done so well in digitally transforming their entire economy from different verticals whether that be banking with fintech to logistics to, um, you know, things like grocery deliveries. Uh, you can buy a car online. Everybody's dating online. Everything is happening online. And healthcare was just one thing that was still very, very old school. And that personal experience kind of made me realize that there's so many gaps that need to be filled. I have some experience working with investing in healthcare companies uh, as an angel investor professionally as well. Um, so for me, that became the path became very, very clear. Okay, somebody needs to come do it. Uh, why don't we give it a shot? I have some experience uh, doing that. I can pull together. Let me give it a shot if I can pull together a great team and start executing. So that's uh, sort of what we saw and that's what we're doing now. Amazing. Is there is there an apathetic attitude towards mm. health in general in Mexico amongst the people? Like, is it a lower priority for people? Um, or has the lack of digitization, digitalization in the space until now um, been just kind of a, a, a combination of events? Like, is it a cultural thing that people, do people prefer um, to have a personal connection with a doctor, which then makes mm -hmm. it more difficult for outsiders to get healthcare? Or is it like, is it more just a case of like, nobody's actually bothered to try and take it on and do it? Uh, it's a great question. I think it's a combination of everything. Um, there have been, you know, obviously that personal touch uh, with the doctor is necessary as it used to be in even in the US or Western Europe. And it's still very, very important. And on the other hand, I think, you know, what we have seen at least is that some people have tried to do it, but it has never been done from a customer perspective. It has been, done, you know, let's build a company uh, where we put a doctor behind a camera and, uh, you know, people obviously need to take care of their health. That is very, very obvious. So hopefully you build and they will come. And that mentality normally in a very customer facing, uh, customer centered business just does not translate into a good business. So we saw a bunch of companies coming in, especially during the pandemic, trying to do that and miserably failing. And so it's a, it's a definitely a combination of both. The way we think that this has to be solved is you have to create that personal touch that patients have with the doctors and also doctors have with the patient, right? If it's only patients looking for that connection and doctors are unable to provide and they think of patients as just a number who comes in and pays them and they prescribe that medication, then the game is over. You know, it has to be a two-way street, something that is already happening in Mexico. Uh, the way the system is, that is how it operates. Just because the demand is too much, the supply is inefficient. And in the end, the quality really suffers. The personal touch uh, really, really suffers. Yeah. Yeah, understood. Um, so you started Elevar um, with a pretty, I mean, was was your was your initial objective? Was it like, right, we're going to do this, we're going to do this across the whole country. Um, you know, we're going to build a whole platform, and we're going to completely encompass everything. Um, and in say five years time, everyone's going to be using this and, and that's how they're going to access healthcare across the country. Or was it more of a regional thing to start with? Yeah. Look at the, the vision, the long-term vision is to become the, the healthcare name that everybody thinks about when they need to take care of uh, their health. But 
we all know, you know, you cannot cast a wide net and catch everything. Uh, that's a terrible way to do business and something I've seen for the 10 years of my background in finance. What we decided to do was, okay, let's really figure out what are the actual pain points in Mexico for doctors and for patients. What are the what are the gaps that the patients are looking to fill in that the medical system is able to provide, and what are the sufferings of doctors that the current ecosystem infrastructure is unable to provide? And the way we thought about that is, look, you know, we can think about sit down here and fundamentally talk about the problems in Mexico in healthcare. They're just too vast. Look, we are not here to change the whole system. It's impossible. You know, yeah. with companies that are doing healthcare in Mexico for a while. But we have to figure out data-wise, let's uh, co- start collecting data on the actual needs. So what we, we, had some, um, we had some assumptions that there's di- everybody, a lot of people in Mexico ha- have diabetes. So maybe there's an angle over there. Uh, maybe we can figure fix that problem. Women's health is a complicated issue. No matter if you're in Mexico or in the US, the health is more complex. Taking care of that health is even more complex. Um, and women are just in general a lot more intelligent about their health than Chris, you and I, I guess we are. You know, we can get hit by a car and still come back home and not take care of it and be like, well, give it a month, I'll be fine. Uh, women, on the other hand, are a lot different. So the way we, so these were some of the assumptions and we started to act on those assumptions. What we, what we realized is that actually diabetes, for example, is something that people are very easy, understand how to take care of that, not uh, angle that we want to pursue. Women's health is very interesting because it's, it has so many different angles uh, from gynecological health to mental health to even pediatric health, which is indirectly related to them. Uh, pre and postnatal care. So that became very interesting. Uh, then there were other sectors like uh, mental health in general, sexual health, that is very, very interesting, dermatology. So certain specializations that became very, very interesting. Uh, the way we went about collecting that data was, you know, we had a little uh, puzzle to solve. How do we have very low barriers to entry and get people to try out the service? At, give us the information that we need to figure out how we can provide them the better care. So we had a very simple idea. Let's build a platform which is based on WhatsApp, which almost more than 75% of Mexicans use uh, almost daily to communicate. And where people can come in and connect with a doctor on demand and ask about anything this could be hey i have uh i have some stomach ache or i have food poisoning do i did did this uh blood test i do not understand these results to a doctor i went to a doctor they diagnosed with me with xyz kind of disease i want a second or third opinion so let's do that and that way we will very organically hopefully if we are somewhat right we will very organically start figuring out what is it that people want and that's what we did and for us, that has been a goldmine. We did better than what we expected. And from there on, we compartmentalized these other things that people really need. And these other things where we can actually provide good service and you know make money because that's very essential for any business. Uh, that's how we figured out the patient side. On the doctor side, let me know if I'm getting ahead of myself. But Ooh, um, carry, on. carry on, this is all good. Awesome. On the doctor side, what we realize is the problems that doctors face are very fundamental. Uh, doctors, A, do not make enough money unless they work at the large private institutions, which only 5% of doctors in Mexico get to go work at. It's a very privileged job to have. The remaining doctors have very few options. Work in public healthcare system where they get paid very, very little money, uh, almost the same, a little over the money an Uber driver makes working the same amount of hours than what somebody would make. So that to me was mind blowing coming from America where doctors are some of the highest paid professionals, even in the world, even in India where doctors make, you know, do not make money as American doctors do, but make significant amount of money. This was a, a, a unpleasant information. Let's just say that for me to understand. So that's one option. The third option is to go try to build up their private practices, which is impractical, very difficult, very expensive to build. 
uh, very capital intensive. And even if you are somehow able to build it, then how do you get patients coming in? You know, you have to build a brand and all of that. So that makes it very difficult. So we're like, okay, so if you can figure out a way. How does, how does the healthcare system work in general in Mexico? Is, is, is public healthcare provided free of charge or is it supplemented by the government or is it always, is it always a, a cost that the patient has to, uh, has to incur? How does it work? Yeah. So public healthcare, just like public healthcare anywhere in the world is a, is a total mess in Mexico. Uh, so the government does provide public health care. About 55% of the population is like covered by some sort of public health care scheme. Uh, the biggest one is called IMSS. And the reality is that you want to go see a doctor. You People want to go see a doctor when they need to go see a doctor, right? When they actually have an emergency or need. And that that part is not solved by public health care because there are significant waiting times. The quality of you, for, to give you an idea, if you want to see a physician in certain areas, just a GP, that it can take anywhere from six hours to a week to see that doctor. Yeah. And if you even, want to see even, a, even in Mexico City, you see queues around the block, around the block, doctors every day. We yeah, you actually saw that because you were living in the part of Mexico City that you were living in. There used to be a IMSS clinic right there. Yeah, yeah. and they are. Yeah, exactly. So it's very difficult. And on the specialist side, that could take from weeks to months to see, get an appointment with a doctor. And even if you're lucky enough to get one, then the quality of service is just really bad because the system is just so overwhelmed with the amount of demand that people have that you know, they cannot pay individualized, personalized attention to everybody. So what happens is majority of the people actually spill over to the two things happen. They either don't seek the care that they need, uh, any kind of medical care, or they go into private sector. And private sector is also like very expensive, the top tier one, completely inaccessible cost-wise and also geographically by majority of these people. Or you have to go to this very, very low tier system, which has very low entry fee, uh, could range anywhere from $5 to $10 max. And you go there for your very simple symptoms like uh, food poisoning, I have a fever, I have a headache, and you go there. And these doctors act as a gatekeeper to having you prescription drugs. So, so those are the two systems. So if you have something in between that, you basically have nothing to do. Like you, you cannot afford the private, the good private one. The lower private one does not solve that issue. So at that point, you just are kind of like, you know, at the mercy of Christ, let's just say that. Uh, and from the Mexican context. And that's exactly the area that we are, you know, catering to. It's the the middle 60 to 70% of Mexican population, the middle class that has disposable income, that has healthcare needs that are becoming more and more complex uh, as the health levels around the globe are going down. And they have uh, disposable income, desire to take care of their health, just having nothing uh, no, nowhere to meet that need. And that's where Elevar Salute comes in and provides them uh, in a decentralized way uh, and maintaining a good quality. And at the same time, making sure that the doctor, patient always knows, follow a journey, a path to um, having better care and doctors know where the patient is at every step of the way. Yeah, very good. Um, so... How have you found the experience of trying to do this in Mexico, of, of first of all, starting a company in Mexico, structuring it properly, um, putting the team together? Like how, how, was, how was all of that initially? And, and what are the kind of yeah. what are the pain points that you've experienced? Yeah, it's complex, man. Look, you know, it's uh, Mexico is uh, not as advanced as some of their emerging markets are when it comes to supporting a startup. The startup ecosystem is still in very nascent stages, although it's growing very rapidly, but leaps and bounds behind to, you know, apple to apple comparison of Brazil or India where, or Chile, where there's adequate government support, private sector support and all of that. So, and us also, you know, it's, uh, I'm definitely, it's very clear I'm not from here. So we had an additional layer of complexity to figure out. Uh, we had to first figure out the right team and it took us 
a few months to six or seven months to really start pulling together the right team, you know, uh, the right team that actually believes in the vision, that actually sees the problem and sees the solution. And what we also saw is that if we were looking for, when we were building our team, if you, when we started talking to the obvious people, right, the obvious candidates, people in, within the healthcare system of Mexico. And what we realized is that they are very limited in how they think a problem could be solved because they have just been boxed in into that same problem for so long that it was just very, very difficult for them to think outside of the box. So at that point, like, okay, we need a subject matter expert who knows the healthcare system as a practitioner and maybe also as somebody who's been a practitioner, but also has done things outside of practice, maybe social care or something like that, consulting, management consulting and stuff like yeah. that. That's the first step that we did. Uh, we hired some, we, we brought on one of my co-founders who was a medically trained doctor's practice uh, and then became a management consultant in the healthcare sector in LATAM. Uh, mm-hmm. So putting a team together was difficult. And then similar things happened when we were trying to put together the tech team. It was very difficult to find the right talent. So we had to outsource our team outside of Mexico and all of that. Um, as far as, uh, you know, other things are concerned, we, you know, those were the more uh, Mexico-related complexities that we faced. And I think the rest are, you know, any entrepreneur, their entrepreneurial journey of starting something or building something that they have a vision for. So there was nothing different for us from that regard. Yeah. Um, and um, I know you've put a lot into this personally, both in terms of your time and expertise and blood, sweat and tears, but you've also, you also bootstrapped and bankrolled this yourself um, mm-hmm. like in the first instance, along with a few other investors. But I think that that reflects how much you believed in this. Um, I mean, look, it's, a, it's an, yeah, it's an obvious huge potential market but it's a fucking hard thing to do i mean you're talking like i did did you really did you really think through to start with like how much effort and how much capital commitment and how many resources that this would require or did you almost not want to think about that you just want to start we were so naive. It's uh, it's actually pretty hilarious when I look back at it. You know, it was uh, we were. I, so for me, you know, when you really think about that, I'm like, okay, I see the problem. I see the different possible solutions that can come in. Well, game over. I have figured it all out. You know, I, I I'm, generally, I'm generally somewhat intelligent. You know, I'm not a complete. Oh, for my medal. Mexico. (laughs) So let's figure it out. It's already figured out. So that was, uh, you know, that naiveness was definitely there. And I'm actually glad because had we, had I really thought about it too much and especially not being a former operator and I would have thought like an investor, okay, X amount of money gives me 1.5 X return. Had I thought from that, like, and created my my discounted cash flow analysis and all of that. I would have obviously clearly never taken that, this uh, uh, initiative to do healthcare because the, rea- the ground, reality on the ground is this is very difficult. It is very difficult because you are dealing with, uh, uh, you're, de- you, you're, you're building it in a company where people generally do not want to change the status quo. Uh, they're generally very okay with how things have been, uh, despite a significant amount of suffering, because it's uh, you, and it's not just Mexico, it's everywhere. It happens in India. We, we have seen health tech system in India uh, for the audience. Uh, healthcare system in India was equally as bad and still is as horrible as Mexico. But in the last four or five years, we have just made just so much progress in making sure that healthcare is available to everybody and not just access to a doctor, just everything, data being centralized, electronic health records and all of that, everybody's sort of being in the system. Um, so we, we have always known that. So yeah, I, we were completely naive. And uh, so we burned more cash than I expected I would. And in the end, you know, we made 
decent amount of mistakes. And in the end, now we have gotten to a point there where we feel extremely confident that we have basically knocked on every door and now know that this is the right one. We have made pass through it. We know what areas in medicine that we want to focus on. How are we acquiring customers? How are we acquiring doctors? The ecosystem is kind of like building itself very, very organically. Uh, so I'm glad sometimes being naive is actually uh, a good thing. Um, if you yeah. if you try to do intelligent, then you most likely will never take the risk. That's the that, thing. That's the thing. When you're doing something as gargantuan as this, uh, it's possibly best not to think about the actual scale of it to start with because you would probably never start in the first place. Um, exactly. Yeah, it's best just to get going um, and, and kind of try and make it work along the way, I guess. Um, exactly. Kudos to you for, for doing that. Um, so, I mean, like, have you, in terms of, like, talking about Mexico, you say, like, it's it's a country where, you know, people kind of don't mind things the way they are, traditions, uh, lifestyle. It's all kind of fairly embedded in the culture. Um, mm-hmm. And Mexico can be quite insular, I guess, in my experience, in the sense that not a lot of people look outside of Mexico. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd say probably most Mexicans, most normal Mexicans don't ever even leave Mexico. Um mm-hmm. So um, you're obviously going to find a lot of pushback from from that. But I think certainly from what I've seen in Mexico, like technology kind of adoption and acceptance of technology across across anything, you know, once people get it and they're there, they kind of, you know, they go along with it. So I, I can imagine your, your patient uh, rate is, is increasing. Um, and I, I imagine a lot of that's probably happening through word of mouth. I mean, have you, have you, have you put it, have you, have you enacted a widespread marketing strategy or has this literally just grown organically? It's been completely organic. We have done very, very little marketing. And the only marketing that we did was just to understand that when we do do marketing, what channels actually work in terms of customer acquisition. Look, our belief is always build a product that people need. And, and and provide the best service and it will grow. Um, so the way to think about Elevar and how, you know, sort of like how we have been uh, successful so far is, you know, just by understanding now that we know that these are the areas that people need help with and yeah. we provide great service. You know, our doctors went above and beyond in providing basically the solving their problems, providing great service and all of that. So from there on, people just start recommending us to their friends. Hey, you know, you're feeling bad. You don't have time to go to a doctor. Why don't you just go on WhatsApp and start talking, chatting with our doctor and they will at least guide you whether you need to go to a doctor or you don't, or these are the things that you can do. So that's how it grew organically. And with by doing so, we sort of like started to develop our concept too. And uh, the way we, uh, the way Elevar has become now is concierge medicine, right? We capture people when they have a need, whatever medical need that they may have. It's, uh, we address it right on the spot. And from there on, we tell them, you need to go see a GP, you need to go see a specialist, you need to do uh, a lab work, or you need to have these medications. And at no point, the patient feels that they don't, that they have to try to figure something out. You know, they always have a doctor as a guardian to hold their hand and take them from where they started to feel any kind of symptoms, any kind of uh, issues, nervousness, all the way do treatment and just feeling back to 100 percent uh so in that way uh we really have had to do very little marketing because it has just been great service oh you should go try this service and what also has happened is people have started to ask us give us more and more ideas like people would come in and ask hey i this is great but can i talk to you dr xyz that i'm chatting with right now i will pay x amount of money to talk to you right now you know if i can just talk to you right now, i'm like okay this is great so that means that we are validating our product further without even having to market people that hey you can actually talk to them via whatever telemedicine or in person this is has been an inbound inquiry about 40 percent of our patients are asking us 
have asked us, I will pay X amount of money to talk to you right now. So like, okay, now we need to build a platform where we can instantly, once we have captured these patients, convert them into a telemedicine consultation or send them to a specialist uh, for an in-person consultation if they need or any sort of ancillary services uh, that they need to have. And this is where I think, you know, you didn't ask, but it's important to mention that data has played a massive, massive role. Uh, for us. How are we different from some of the companies that have tried to do that and have failed is because we are collecting all sorts of data on our patients uh, that ranges from, you know, their actual medical needs to the behavioral uh, data on how they're interacting, their levels of urgencies, and what kind of services could they really need and start building, crafting a product based on their needs. And so, yeah, very little marketing. We are actually looking into mar- doing marketing now that we know the market fairly well on who to market to. And that's going to be, that's something that we are in the process of figuring out right now. Yeah. What strikes me about this and what I think is very clever about it is, uh, and this is like one of the one of the key things Peter Thiel always talks about and what he talks about a lot in Zero to One was that, it's important not to go about something trying to disrupt an industry. It's important to try and add value to an industry that already established industry that already exists and everyone within it. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're doing is rather than trying to take over everything, you are you're you're adding important pieces uh, in in the middle of of and but adding value to both sides. So adding value to the patient, obviously, and in, in giving them access and quality of care but also giving uh, value to the doctors in terms of uh, enabling them to, to earn more money, enabling mm-hmm. them really to build their own practice within your platform, all of mm-hmm. the things that they couldn't do before, and make a decent living doing a, doing a hard, highly skilled job, um, and, and kind of elevating them, it, <laughs> pardon the pun, elevating them uh, within society to where, to where they should be uh, for doing that job. Um, so the name, hence the name, Elevate Health. Right. Um, and I think important for people to take note of that, like, yes, it's a huge thing. Um, but you know, you're, you're putting the pieces together that are already there. You're just helping it run in a much more effective way in a fairer way. And again, again, giving value to both sides. Yeah, exactly. Look, though, we believe in network business. You know, we we are not here to build clinics, put equipment, employ doctors and all of that. Very right. capital expensive business. Right. We will not succeed. We will never make enough money to, you know, to deserve to grow and solve this problem as we, we would like to. So the reality is in Mexico, the infrastructure sort of already exists, you know. There are enough doctors. There are enough medical facilities. There is uh, enough desire for the doctors. You know, nobody really becomes a doctor because, oh, it's a cool thing because my life will be very good. People mostly choose to become a doctor because they're very passionate about it. And especially in Mexico, where they also know that they don't really, most likely they're not going to make enough money. So it's why they really become doctors driven by passion. Yeah. You a moral endeavor rather than an economic one, which exactly. is different to, to, to other parts, of the, to many other parts of the world. Exactly. And so we want to make sure that people who have invested their life, their time, their money, their academics into this have get the value in return for doing such a noble thing that they're doing. So again, network business, the pharmacy chains exist that, that can distribute medication. Great. It, they actually exist in a very, very great network of mm-hmm. pharmacy. Uh, the doctors are sort of unevenly distributed in Mexico, you know, mostly focused on big metropolitan areas. If we can digitize some of that, then we have figured that to a certain extent as well. And for the rest, we're going to have to figure out, which we are figuring out, how do we make sure if somebody lives in uh, Tabasco, a, a Chihuahua or Chiapas, you know, the mm-hmm. very... Uh, first of all, not very densely populated parts of the country, but also very far-flung areas uh, where infrastructure just really sucks. But everybody has a smartphone. Majority of people have a smartphone. They are doing a lot of things on smartphones. So, okay, 
it's better than having nothing. So if we can connect them to medical services like that, let's just do that. Um, so that's exactly, you know, to, to reiterate your point, network business is what we believe in. It's CapEx mm-hmm. low. Uh, it's not CapEx heavy. We don't, uh, we have, we can generally size up or size down our expenses of supply as the demand comes. Uh, and that's what we really believe in. I've personally been a distressed investor uh, all my career. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that we remain asset light and our investment go in providing, building the best digital infrastructure and making sure the quality of service never suffers. Yeah, that's a smart thing to do, for sure. Um, so talking about, about Mexico, um, like as a, as, as a geography, as a country, um, getting investment in Mexico is, is, is difficult. I mean, Mexico is very much a place where you need to know people. I mean, I know you have a good network. We have extended reasonably good networks in the country because, you know, you've been down there for a while. We know people that have been down there for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I presume, and well, I don't presume, I know what you've been doing um, is looking for people who can, who can understand this, who are not based in Mexico and can invest into into the company in Mexico. That is a difficult thing to do. I mean, what pushback have you found from people like, you know, uh, any hesitancy in investing in Mexico? Mm-hmm. Um, has that been an issue in in particularly with with raising investment? Yeah, you know, that's another complexity that you face in emerging markets uh, and emerging markets like Mexico. Uh, the the venture capital system, for example, in Mexico is in uh, early stages. It's uh, it's beyond nascent, but it's early. Uh, you know, there are some great funds here who have done some amazing things to transform the system. Very respectable work that they have done. And uh, but I think what's happening is everybody, a lot of the system is still stuck in uh, the fintech bubble, and it's not really a bubble when you think about that, right? Because Everything is based, every, any other industrial vertical that you want to build that is technologically supported, which is when venture, they will be funded by venture capital. Mm-hmm. You need to have a transactional environment. So the, the funds here have done amazing work building that, but they haven't, they are just now starting to look beyond fintech to see what are the other pain points that exist in the industry, in the economy, for the consumer, for the businesses. And so we are, we found ourselves caught in a time where, you know, the FinTech roller coaster was on its way up and mm-hmm. the excitement was building and everybody was building, had the dream of building a unicorn. Uh, and now it's coming down and people are looking to take, see, look at things outside. We were, we are just caught in that time where they are still looking, they haven't really executed or developed any expertise outside. Uh, so long story short, uh, you know, it's been challenging for sure. Uh, we have spoken to, we have had contact with some great funds. It's been challenging for them to see how somebody can transform healthcare because they're like, look, people have tried to do that before. It has not worked. Uh, or we actually don't know anything about healthcare. We have never done anything in healthcare. All we know is fintech. So sorry so for us it's like okay well somebody has to do it uh we have chosen ourselves to do it so let's look at funds that are maybe not from here um and are we got a very very good reception from funds who were that were not mexican like especially from order in the u.s healthcare is one of the most booming sectors after artificial intelligence uh in um, in that part of the world so for us that's been a good blessing where we have gotten uh, and obviously my own network coming from finance we have been you know people know me uh, they know what kind of work i've done and i i, I think fortunately i have a good uh, name on the street yet so we've been able to raise the money that we needed for mm-hmm. every step we're taking in increments um, from that side of the world uh, and in the process, we are hoping that with our success, we can actually show the, the investment world domestically in Mexico 
that look guys it is possible you know it is possible to go look outside of the box and see what are the things that need transformation support the people that you like yeah. and continue to build this uh, ecosystem yeah and how do you find the ecosystem in in mexico generally like it's quite as you say it's quite nascent but for me certainly being down there there was the the the, the kind of energy and the kind of pioneer attitude almost still being very early stage but every, you know like big risks big potential um very underdeveloped industries across a range of different spaces um mm-hmm. but a hell of a lot of innovation happening uh, a lot yeah. a great environment to be a part of I, i i assume particularly in mexico city the ecosystem there um I, how do you find working within that as quite a prominent figure within it i think it's amazing i really i really find it so incredible i feel like from what i have read i, I was not around but imagine what silicon valley might have been in the 80s and 90s yeah exactly uh, the scene was really booming you know nobody was really at its throat to uh, the founders particularly that the competition that because everything is just so new so there's very little overlap so what i find is that there's this very amazing brotherhood and sisterhood that exists uh with, between founders a very amazing camaraderie that exists uh which to me is uh, really essential you know and uh, to build a network to you know building a startup is a difficult undertaking uh, it's a soul searching mission almost yeah. and when you're surrounded by people who are doing the same thing then life becomes a little bit easier um, what we have seen is that every founder faces sort of like the same um, thing that as we do uh, the problems uh, finding the lack of support in the in the ecosystem from investors to potential partners and all of that I personally believe uh that it's uh, all the horrible but it, in a way it's also good because these founders like ourselves will are going through turbulent times in the very beginning to yeah. build these strong foundations to the ones that will succeed will do will have seen a lot of uh stress they have been stress tested very early they will be more um uh, financially savvy on how to build their companies they will yeah. be more not just chase uh you know unprecedented growth unsustainable growth but focus profitability focus on building sustainable teams doing more with less and i think frankly this is the environment that we are headed into uh in the ecosystem that we exist whether in mexico or the us or in europe or in asia and and i think in a way in a in a messed up way it's pretty good Yeah, I think I think you're right. Like I think anybody who's been down there for the last few years cutting their teeth so to speak, yeah. like trying to do things. Um the experience that you will get from that is is invaluable. Um whether the the first venture you work on works or not, um mm-hmm. you've learned a hell of a lot for your next one and with and and also within that experience creating a lot of value for the whole ecosystem because everybody's experiencing it together right everybody's making mistakes everybody's learning from from their own mistakes and from each other um and 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 creating a richer ecosystem for it um which is is great to see um i mean it takes it takes a a, a unique kind of person to want to do that i mean i know like like on the even on the vc side it's like you you kind of the obvious thing to think is well why why don't like more why don't more us or european vcs move just set up an office in mexico and move down there like what's going on and the answer to that question probably is there's actually not a lot of people who want to do it mm-hmm. um not a lot of founders really who would think okay i'm going to go to mexico and i'm just going to move my life there and i'm just going to do this because like you know it's just it, it's just an unusual thing to do <laughs> um but the opportunity is is there and it's incredible and i think i would encourage strongly as i'm sure you would like any any ambitious founders or entrepreneurs uh, or investors even um 
anybody who works in the startup world at least go to Mexico City uh, at least and and spend spend a month or two there and really see already how well developed it is and the potential that that it has um you know the potential for return for incredible returns there is 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 vast like probably right. better than you'll see in most places in the world but also what you'll see is an incredible startup ecosystem a lot of great talent there Mm-hmm. Uh, very much a um, a collaborative environment, yeah. Um, helping each other, you won't be alone, uh, yeah. And you'll be very welcomed. Um, and also, what you'll see uh, in the country more generally is a booming country. Like, yeah. and this is you, if you come from Europe or from North America at the moment, and you you go there, and you're like, oh fuck me, this. <laughs> This is what it used to be like in our countries when stuff was actually happening and stuff exactly. was growing. Like industry was growing, wealth was increasing, tons of investment coming into the country, like from, you know, from, from nearshoring partnerships, for example, manufacturing deals. Like there's a shitload of stuff going on and the country is going like this. It's just, it's going up and up and up. And it, it, by by anyone's projections, it will continue to do that for the next 10, 15, 20 years at least. And how well it can do after that will, will I think, depend a lot on how well it's managed by the government. And hopefully they can step up their game a little bit as well. But it's yeah. a great place to be, to go. The energy is fantastic. Um, and yeah, I, I think I would encourage anybody to go to go and get involved, as I'm sure you would. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, and I think you know, Chris, it's changing. In the last year, you're seeing, uh, as you as you saw, and uh, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of entrepreneurs from uh, who are not Mexicans are right. coming to, Mexico. and uh, because the opportunity is just massive, right? We are transforming a brick and mortar. We are trying to skip the whole brick and mortar cycle, life cycle that happened in America, in Western Europe, of building that infrastructure, replacing it completely digitally. So the opportunity set is just substantial. So entrepreneurs are coming in, and uh, I see actually more and more entrepreneurs every time in these events who are Mexicans and also non-Mexicans. So it's happening on both ways. And the same thing is happening with um, investors. Uh, you know, if you think about a venture capital fund who's based in the US, but there are so many. I mean, this is a hub. And uh, every deal is very competitive. You know, yeah. if, let's say you are VC1, I'm VC2 in uh, San Francisco in Silicon Valley. We like a deal. You know, then it's a dog-eat-dog world. We are just in raising the valuations just to get the deal and all of that exactly. and that doesn't here so the opportunities to earn an alpha are significant in mexico so there are a lot of funds that are jumping coming to latin america emerging markets like what happened in india in asia in other parts of emerging markets so it's, it's happening so that's changing and that that for me it's very encouraging to see and i am I'm a big fan of that um and yeah, look, the, the support ultimately will have to come from the local businesses, uh, the local government and all of that. And if, if that happens, then there is no stopping uh, with the macroeconomical and geopolitical uh, way the world is playing out right now with all the nearshoring that is happening. You know, the entire supply chain as we speak is moving from Asia to Mexico, mostly. So yeah. Mexico just has so much to gain in every way and I, I i wish people are i know people are seeing that but i wish for people to see it more and more that you know unless there's a major catastrophical event happen geopolitically around the world mexico is probably one of the best places to be in uh to take advantage of the new boom the new economical cycle that we're entering um, yeah and and be a part of that be a part of that build out and that's uh frankly on the macroeconomical level that's been a big driver for us to be out here for sure for sure and i, I again I, I applaud you for it because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a it's a great move um, it's just not a it's it's not an easy one but it's completely worth it um, so um so yeah i think i mean how have you like how do you find like 
How do you see things playing out in the near future? I mean, for Elevar, for you, for life in Mexico, I mean, is this is this like a is this you for for life now? Like, are you going to hang on to this baby and grow it for for the long term? What's your long term plan? Is it to to exit, and then what what does that look like potentially as an exit strategy? Yeah, great question. Look, uh, yeah, we I see both me and my wife. Uh, we see ourselves being here for a very long time. We, we love Mexico. To me, it reminds me of my birth country of India in a variety of ways. To her, it actually does not remind her of her birth country of Germany in any way, which is what she's trying to say. Just about it, sitting at home going, no, I said, it, you said we were leaving next week. For her, it's like, oh my God, it's amazing. It's so different. For me, it's like, oh my God, it's amazing. It's so similar, you know? So we found, <laughs> our, we found our synergies yeah, yeah. in Mexico in that way. And regarding Elevar, look, there is so much to do in healthcare. There's just, there's just so, so much to do in healthcare. There's so much when we succeed with Alibar in the step that we are taking to for us to do. There's just so much wood to chop here uh, in healthcare. And look, I had a very comfortable life in New York. I was uh, very comfortable in my job, what I was doing. I was in a very nice career trajectory. I, everything was looking bright. Uh, for me to come to Mexico was a huge risk, and I like taking sort of calculated risks. And uh, this has been, and the the way I see what we can do with Alavar. Sometimes I do not even want to go to sleep because I just want to keep writing it all down, figure out ways on how to do that. And uh, it's it's really become my life's work at the moment, and I don't suspect that that will change anytime soon so we want to continue to build and exit opportunities uh there's so many there's there's several the ones that we can think about is uh, the more i guess the more uh, achievable ones is we we are building the one medical or a carbon health uh, of the us in mexico that does not exist if you are thinking of how Mexico, Mexican and American economy are getting tied together even closer and closer, we are a very good acquisition target for any of these large American healthcare companies, the CVS Health, Carbon Health, Amazon, sure. all of these companies are getting into there. So if we were looking for an exit and if we play our cards right and if we do the things right and if we really build something, the exit opportunity is just sitting right across, around the corner for yes. us. I mean, as, an, yeah. as a data acquisition play alone for a big US company, it's if, exactly. I mean, if you build it out to the scale that it needs to be, it's a fucking incredible opportunity. It's an incredible opportunity. It's a 20, like the, the, the direct market that we are looking at, which is primary and preventative care market only, is a $28 billion cash market. This market yeah. is not even, you know, complex with insurance. This is just cash market, Yeah, you know? So if I am, if I'm running, if I'm working a corp dev team at uh, Amazon or any of these like large XYZ healthcare companies, and I'm looking for acquisition targets, and I have figured out that it's completely saturated in domestically, and I'm looking for alpha outside, this is a no brainer because the economies are so tied uh, together and there's a good data play and all of that, then the, the exit opportunities are plentiful. And that's sort of when I think from my banker mind, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not building this thing to, to nowhere. There is. In terms yeah. of like the wider geopolitical environment, there's, 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 there's really no way this goes back the other way now. Like, yeah. Every, yeah. like it, everything is going to come to Mexico. Yeah. Um, that has been in India and China. Yeah. Um, and the, like the, the, so many things would have to change completely in the world for that to, for that to be different. So yeah. that it's, that it's not as risky a play as it sounds when you no. start to factor in those, those things. Mexico is probably the safest place on the planet right now. Like when you really think about that, Uncle Sam will never let anything happen to Mexico. No. Uh, is the we are just so even more closely tied together and it's visible on the ground chris when you were here and you spent what six seven months here in mexico six and a half months i think i was there 
it's incredible. for a week, stay for six and a half months. <laughs> exactly. it's, it's incredible. You feel like, I still feel like, I've been here for almost two and a half years. I feel like I've never left New York or I feel like I'm in LA, like I'm in downtown LA when yeah. I'm in Mexico City. It's, it's, it has that kind of vibe. It really does. It's, it, doesn't yeah. feel, it doesn't feel like an underdeveloped country when you're in the middle of Mexico City. Or that you're not safe. Yeah, or you know, some violence will happen. Honestly, I feel I feel safer walking around the streets in Mexico City than I do walking around the streets in in European cities. Like literally, like in terms of like physical safety, you don't see robberies. You don't see. I I didn't see. I, I mean, you know, other than like, let's be honest, like drugs and prostitution, you don't see yeah. any crime. Like that stuff quite obvious but right. that's i think it's it's obvious in any city aside mm -hmm. from that isn't that you don't see violent crime you don't see robberies you don't see any i i didn't see any of that at all right. um, and you really do feel safe um which was something that surprised me a lot i mean the first couple of days i was there it was like oh, like oh my god in mexico city like blah 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 like, but you oh yeah you, we, went to that, we went to that thing and uh the first night you were here driving your fucking car across Mexico City. I don't even know where I was going. I don't even know what side of the road to drive on. That's another one. Well, that's on you. You you British, you guys just drive on the wrong side. Yeah, no, that's that is on me. <laughs> oh, that was a funny night. Um, yeah. But um, but no, seriously, it's it's. Uh, I think anyone would be surprised. Um, and oh yeah, if if I, I if I haven't told you already, Kiki and I are coming back in January and February. I heard, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you did tell me. I'm looking forward. I mean, it feels very far away, but you know, time flies. Ah, it'll fly. Of course, it will fly. Hopefully, we'll see you in Europe before then. Anyway, if you make it out of Mexico this summer at all. Um, we'd like you don't because you do have a lot to do we have a lot to do but you know it would be nice to find at least a week maybe but the way things are right now we have just so much to do uh we are on a hiring spree right now also anybody who's listening to the podcast we are actively hiring people in deep tech uh ai ops machine learning uh performance marketing um just medical operations uh, we're not hiring an army. We need maybe one or two people uh, in each of the things that I mentioned. But if you have any recommendations, you can always reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn, Vidit Gupta, Elevar Salud. Uh, shoot me a message over there. And I am very active. I'll respond. And there will never be a time that you don't hear back from me. I'll put all your I'll put your contact links in the, in the podcast description so people can reach out. And I'm sure they will. Um, Anyone <laughs> Hopefully they do. Um, I think, and you know, as a closing remark, because I know uh, we both have to go. You know, look, we are we're building Elevar Salud. We're building Elevar Salud because we have a passion of making sure that everybody who deserves healthcare has ability to take care of their health. They don't have to think about can I afford it? Is it close to me? Is it going to be a good service? It will be. That's why we are doing this. We and uh, we can use all sorts of support, you know, from everybody uh, when we're building our team for people to come in and, you know, give us a shot. It's very easy, guys. You just need to go on WhatsApp. You have to talk about what's going on. Our doctors will attend you and they will guide you on whatever it is that you need and give us a shot. Help us build a bigger, brighter future for Mexico, for Latin America, when it comes to taking care of people, uh, for people to of their health. And mm. uh, any kind of uh, words of encouragement, criticism, anything that comes along, we are very open to receiving that as long as it's constructive. So always feel free to reach out to me directly or anybody on my team that you may come across. Or Chris, who's a good friend and has been a amazing sounding board for me for the last uh, six months for everything we have shared a uh, lot of wins losses successes cries tears everything together and i think chris you probably know 
what I'm about, what El Barcelona is all about, um, and a bunch of other founders that you're supporting in the ecosystem very, very well. So thank you for thank you. hard work that you have put in uh, in day. getting the ecosystem and uh, helping people like me and others. Uh, yeah, in- my my absolute pleasure. I I love to do it. Um, this is this is a kind of a passion project for me as well because having lived in Mexico. I know a lot of kind of normal Mexican people and I know how much of a big difference this will make to them. So I'm happy to help you in any way I can. And aside from that, it's a fucking great opportunity. Um, you know, it's it, it really is. So I'm happy to do it, happy to keep working with you and making this a success. And I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us today, Vidit. Um, always a pleasure. Um, and I wish you well uh, on your on your journey as it continues. All right, man. Absolutely. Take care, brother. See you soon. Health and success, my friend. Well, that was a slice, as they say. Um, So next week, just to finish off here, uh, next week, my guest will be the one and only Ashley Martis, um, CEO and founder of Startup Fuel. Uh, he's based up here in Toronto, Canada, as I am currently as well. Um, we've got some huge announcements on some of the work we've been doing in the last month or two, um, looking at completely reshaping the venture capital model um, to offer much more efficiency and value both to startups and LPs. Stay tuned for that next week. Um, that will also be the first Renaissance podcast uh, recorded live in person in our studio here in Toronto. Um, shout out to Con Arts for letting us use their beautiful space for us to do that and record that there. Um, so looking forward to that. Also looking forward to seeing everyone this week uh, who's attending the Startup Visa Summit here in Toronto, um, looking at making immigration uh internationally more more of an effective process um, enabling people to move to countries where there are more opportunities but also focused on bringing more innovators more founders more investors here into canada Um, so really excited about that event and seeing everyone there Um, have a good week everybody Um, that's episode three of the renaissance podcast Um, thank you again to vidit and we'll see you next week